You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the UFC 283 live post-fight show here on MMAfighting.com. The first pay-per-view of 2023 is in the books. And we end the night with two new champions. One of them, Jamal Hill, the light heavyweight champion, Brandon Moreno, now a two-time undisputed UFC flyweight champion, capping off just a, a pretty crazy night in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. But thank you for joining us. We have a lot to discuss. I am Mike Heck. Joining me, we have Shaheen Alshadi, the wise wordsmith himself. How are you? I'm doing good, Mike. Uh, first cards in the book of uh, books for 2023, and I don't think anybody saw this coming. Quite a night. Quite a night indeed. And someone who I know is really excited to talk about it, especially in the main event, is Mr. No Gray Area himself, the Exhibition King, R. Woody Page, Mr. Jed Mishu. Hello, Jed. <laughs> I love this R. Woody Page thing. I'm a big fan of this new moniker. Sup, guys? The horns. The horns have come because a post show is happening the first pay-per-view of the year and there's a there's a lot to talk about guys there's a lot yes there is a lot to talk about so let's just get right into it because a lot of storylines in the main event probably a lot more than we expected heading in considering what the matchup was we had Glover Teixeira taking on Jamal Hill and most people despite what the betting lines actually suggested felt like this is probably gonna be Glover's night they're it just seemed like he had more ways to win. He was eventually just going to get Jamal Hill to the ground. We looked back on the Paul Craig fight. We looked back on the Tiago Santos fight, and we're like, if Glover Teixeira gets this man to the ground, we know it's about to happen. Jamal Hill comes out here and does his best Cody Garbrandt impression and sweeps the cards 50-44 across the board. He is the new light heavyweight champion of the world. Glover Teixeira, tougher than a $2 stake and subsequently retires after just a Glover Teixeira-esque performance where even though he got dominated, even though he got swept on the cards, his stock still rose, which is so crazy to think about. But Jed, I want to begin with you. I know you have a lot to say on this matter. So Jamal Hill is the UFC light heavyweight champion in the year of our Lord 2023. Your reaction to the fight? Your reaction to his performance? Were you surprised by the way it all went down tonight? I was definitely surprised. Certainly thought Glover was going to win. There are so many thoughts just rushing around my head. One, uh, we talked about this a lot off off air. If you had told me like six months ago that Jamal Hill was going to be the light heavyweight champion within a year, I would have assumed something terrible happened to like every other good light heavyweight that that created those circumstances because he's not very good but he was super good tonight so maybe he is good like this was undeniably the best performance of his career like he showed a bunch of shit he's never shown before he looked sensational he didn't get tired even at points when it looked like he would he didn't get over his skis which is a thing that has certainly happened uh, in his fights. He hasn't been punished for mostly, but he fought a super composed, really, really good fight and looked 
the best he's ever looked. He looked good, which is frankly not something I've ever really thought he's done before. So that's you can't deny any of what his in cage performance was. It was sensational. And so there's all of that. But at the same time, it's just like it, it's hard for me to reckon with like such a big change. We were talking about our rankings update. Rankings are going to come out in the next couple of days here. Coming into this fight, I had Jamal Hill ranked 14 at light heavyweight, and that was fair. Maybe I was low, and certainly now it looks like I was low, but like there was a legitimate argument for everybody placed above him to exist there. Like I didn't have anybody he beat in front of him. It was it was just fair. And now he is like I, I, he's pro- I'm going to have him in the top five, I think, is where it rolls out. And some people I'm sure are going to give me huge amounts of shit for that. But like it's just incredibly weird. And before I forget, I do just want to throw this out. Uh, we don't have to talk about it, but because no one's going to 5044 is just an awful, awful, indefensibly bad scorecard. Like, there has never been a clearer case. The way the actual rules dictate for 10-7 rounds than rounds 3 and 4. Like, those are... 4 undeniably is a 10-7. Like, there's no way you can read the rules and not see that as a 10-7. There were, like, three different points when... (laughs) When Mark Goddard is like hovering, fight back, I'm about to do it. It's not going to, it overall doesn't matter, but just horrific scorecards that I wanted to mention too before we moved on. Yeah, those are pretty, pretty wild cards. Shaheen, your biggest takeaway from from this main event because stunned. I I was stunned at the performance. Like, if Jamal is going to win, he's just going to run Glover over early in the first round and goes out there. He pitched a perfect game. This was like, Shevchenko-esque out there in, in, in some regards. And I just did not see this complete of a performance over a 25-minute stretch like this coming. Yeah, it kind of follows the pattern, right? It seems like none of us actually know how to how to judge Glover to share fights beforehand, right? The, the Yuri Prohaska fight, we all felt like it was going to go, oh, you know, Yuri's going to knock him out or Glover's going Glover's to submit him. And then obviously something crazy happens in the complete opposite of what we expect happens. And same with going into this, either Jamal's going to knock him out early or Glover's going to drag him into deep waters and drown him. And that was very much not what happened. I, I mean, I, I joined Jed in that if you would have even told me two months ago that Jamal Hill is going to be the UFC champion in January, if you would have just said Jamal Hill is going to be the UFC champion by 2024, I would have I heard you and believed you, but I would have had some questions. But if you said, hey, by January, he's going to hold the belt. I wouldn't have actually understood what you were telling me. So like this is, again, just another example of just how utterly ridiculous and crazy and the wild swings that can happen in this sport just overnight. Uh, because I agree with Jed. I mean, I I was not sold fully on Jamal Hill going into tonight. He certainly seems to have leveled up, though, right? Like that was a – so I, I can't remember whether you or him mentioned Cody Garbrandt. That was a Cody Garbrandt-esque uh, leveling up going into – a big situation like this or a TJ Dillashaw-esque leveling up going into the Hen and Brow fight, right? Like we have never seen Jamal Hill look remotely that good or like not as good as he did tonight where that was frankly uh, a thorough, thorough ass kicking and there's no really word about post. it. Pillar to post. post. And there were uh, countless times where that fight could have been stopped if not for the inhuman toughness of Glover Teixeira. So I'll just want to get all of that out of way out of the way right off the bat because you cannot take credit away from jamal hill from what he did tonight uh that was an incredibly impressive performance 
That being said, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about Glover to share because this man is a living legend. And just frankly, I, I am in awe of him. I don't actually understand what I watched tonight, how I how a 43-year-old man who just came off of one of the, if not the greatest fight we have ever seen, a fight in which he took horrific amounts of damage and more or less just kept going until his body finally quit Rory Rory McDonald Robbie Lawler style in the final round with like 30 seconds left how he could come off of that at age 43 and then go into a fight like this and just take obscene damage utterly obscene damage and not only survive to the scorecards but actually kind of rally in that fifth round and you know get him down get mount he had an opportunity there for a half a second like unbelievable credit to Glover Teixeira, who is by far one of the toughest human beings that we have ever seen in a sport filled with tough human beings. Like it is, there are not enough words to describe the inhuman toughness of this man. I'm going to look up the numbers just right now in front of me. So bear with me. Jamal Hill landed 232 significant strikes tonight on Glover Teixeira, 232 in Jamal Hill's past fights. He needed four, four significant strikes to knock out Jimmy Crute, six to knock out Johnny Walker, 89 to knock out Tiago Santos, 68 to knock out OSP. He laid a 232, and Glover Teixeira was still standing and still fighting back at the very end. I That is, I again, I just, I, I have no actual words for this. It doesn't make any actual sense. Uh, it, it's just, it blows me away. So I, again, Glover retiring, absolute legend. Absolute legend. I just want to get that out of the way right there. And then last thing I will say before, I'm sure we'll continue to talk about this, but the UFC light heavyweight division is, this is not to take away from Jamal Hill. Maybe the worst men's division right now that I can remember a division being, right? Because that's just kind of like the, the reality of this situation. Um, it, it's it's just a very, very bizarre division where no one really seems to be standing out. I think Magomed Ankalaev, we all thought was going to be that guy. Maybe he still is that guy. I actually still would favor him in a fight over Jamal Hill. And, and Yuri Prohaska is the best uh, and he's just sort of out of the equation right now. But outside of that, like this division is in a really weird, rough shape. And it's just kind of hard to deny that, right? Like you can give Jamal Hill all the credit in the world while still acknowledging that this division right now is absolutely not what it used to be. And it's not, uh, you know, something you'd write home about. If you were to rank all the men's divisions right now, I think you would probably be last. Uh, and it's just, it's a very weird place. It's a very weird, uncertain and shaky place. And the fact that we have gotten to this point where Jamal Hill, again, a, a man who two months ago, no one would have put in this position and now is the champion and, and with a thorough dominating performance, like nobody knows anything about anything in this sport. And this is just a very bizarre set of circumstances that we have got that we've reached. And 2023 is just a weird place. 2023 is just going to be all about weirdness. And if that's the case, I'm here for the weirdness. Let's just have a chaotic ass year. Yeah, this is still like the 15th most weird thing that has happened this year. Is that <laughs> is that this happened? So great performance. I mean, it's just spectacular stuff from Jamal Hill. He looked outstanding from start to finish. But Jed, are you surprised that Glover retired tonight? Like the way that he did? Like, I'm not surprised he retired. But normally Glover is a man of reflection. He might think about it. We might be screaming and hollering him for him. Like, you know what? I, I think you've done enough. Take some time. And then he like a few months later would announce it. But just going out there and, and doing it tonight, I was kind of surprised that he would just do it without taking the time to reflect upon it. But I guess what the hell do I know? Were you surprised? I think there 
was a really good chance he was going to retire anyway, like win or lose here. Um, and I feel better about saying that, certainly the way he he did hang him up there. I also just think Glover's really smart and like this is absolutely the right call. Look, you yeah. you want to go out on top, and this isn't on top on top, but look, he just he he fought for a title in his last ever fight, showed some of truly the most remarkable toughness I've ever seen. Like people forget Glover was not like the most impossibly tough human being before. Anthony Rumble Johnson obliterated him in like 10 seconds or something dumb. Alexander Gustafsson tuned him up and like he was, he was not a wilting Lily by any means, but he was not this. And now at 43, his chin is somehow better. He, he was better. And Jamal Hill just didn't let him do shit tonight. So this is a great opportunity for him to walk away. He is absolutely correct in saying, I mean, he's coming off one of the best fights of all time and an ungodly amount of punishment and followed that up with tonight. Not a good fight because it was mostly one-way traffic, but an ungodly amount of punishment. No better time to walk away from the sport than right now. Uh, and I think he did the right thing. His his retirement, the reason I thought he was going to retire beforehand was for all the obvious reasons. And the reason I think that this was probably going to be the way it went. Maybe if he won, he might try and get it back with Yeri one time, but with a loss – because he was so quick to tee up Alex Pereira. Like he was like, hey, Alex Pereira, he's, I'm going to put all my energy into him, middleweight champ. He's going to come up and try and get a, a second belt. And that's how you should do it. Like right there, you, you set him up. When you're leaving a division or retiring, you set up the next guy in your squad. So I think this is probably preplanned. It's a great time for him to walk away. Uh, he's a Hall of Famer. I don't think there's any question that that man's going to be in the Hall of Fame at this point. And 10 years ago when he couldn't make it into the UFC because of visa issues, like that was, it was in no way certain that he would have been a hall of famer. And even after that, when he did make it in the UFC fell short against John Jones, he might not be a hall of famer. Like he, he's just another guy who was a good dude, fought for a bell, came up short. And now look, look at what he did at the end of his career. Unbelievable run. Great for him to walk away. And uh, incredibly classy move because I don't want that to get lost in the shuffle either. The the slight admonition to the Brazilian fans, hey, I saw what you guys did to Brandon Moreno. That's bullshit. Don't do that. Jamal Hill's a champion. Respect him. He's going to walk out with me. Like He's the best that this sport has to offer. It's a shame he goes out on an L, but, you know, a moral victory. And congrats. You had a great Hall of Fame career, man. It's it's, yeah, I mean, hall of, the, the fact that we're having a Hall of Fame discussion about Glover Teixeira, I think is very – that's like a legitimate – the fact that that's a legitimate discussion is is very, I would say, surprising is to some, for someone it's, to hear that four years ago, right? Three, four years ago. Like not since Michael Bisbing have we seen somebody really transform the story of their career in the final few – like the final chapter of it, the very end of the career to transform it like this. Like it's – so it's, it's, so that's 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 partly true but also to your previous point about this being a rat shit division Jan Blahovich has done the exact same thing because both of them like 5 years ago when Corey Anderson is tuning Glover up and Jan is like losing middling fights to Alexander Gustafsson if you'd been like both of those dudes are going to be champions and hall of famers I'd been like that is 
it absolutely not accurate. But they have both kind of turned it on late in like significant ways. And maybe it means the division's bad. Probably does in a lot of ways. But the division being bad doesn't mean the division isn't fun. And frankly, light heavyweight's way more fun than it was during the peak of John Jones, if we're being honest. This is awesome. A bunch of anarchy happening every other weekend. We might have the belt might literally change hands three times this year. Maybe Jamal Hill defends it a bunch and like and he's 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 leveled up. Or maybe he fights Magwin Ankalaev and loses, and then Ankalaev rematches Jan and loses, and the belt just keeps getting handed around. It would be awesome. So that's what I would ask you, Shaheen, is what do we do with Jamal now? Like, do we just wait and hope we get this Yuri fight on the books? Hope that he just has super healing power and that the worst shoulder injury that anybody has ever seen in combat sports just magically heals in like eight months? Or do we do Anthony Smith? Do we do Ankaliyev? Like, how, how do we handle this? Because it could be hot potato, but th- there's just so many different avenues we could take now that Jamal Hill is the champion. I mean, this is a guy who 18 months ago got his arm broken by by Paul Craig, right? Like he really hasn't fought a lot of these top guys at 205. It feels like the options are right there. I, in a meritocracy meritocracy sense, giving him Magomed and Kalayev next would feel like it would make the most sense. I think. A lot of people would pick Magomed to win that fight. I think a lot of people still believe Ankalaev is probably the number one in this division if this division does not have Yiri. Uh, so that would probably be my call. But also, I don't know that the UFC is rushing to the window to try to book Magomed in, in a fight of that magnitude. They don't seem to be very happy with him at this moment and really what they saw last month in that title fight. So if they end up doing Magomed versus Jan 2 for a number one contender, I feel like that would work as well. Alexander Rakic is kind of just existing out there in space too. He's going to be healed up. I don't know, not not anytime soon, but by, within the year, he's going to be available again. And then you're right, Anthony Smith sort of just is the the odd man out of all of this. He was the one that got screwed out of the the Jamal Hill fight. So the options are there. I would go Ankalaev, but I wouldn't be surprised if they end up doing a Jan Ankalaev in the meantime to to figure it out. But it's anybody's best guess right now. Two So to, to reiterate, Jed, like two five may not be the most um, you know, star-studded, talent-rich division it's ever been right now, but it certainly is wild and a lot of fun in a way that you just can't, it's unpredictable, right? Like, you just can't tell what's going to happen next. What a capper. What a way to end the night. I desperately just, I was thinking this before uh, when Year was champion. I, just, I All I want in life is Alex Pereira versus Year Prohashka because that fight is my everything. But honestly, dude, dump Alex Pereira into this division and let's just let's just get wacky with it. How fun. Alex Pereira versus Jamal Hill is a really fun fight. The Pereira probably wins. Uh, can, you like, imagine, can you imagine? Can you imagine really Pereira fun. was a two-division champion all of a sudden? Like it would be incredible. But like that's <laughs> like I don't want to see Pereira fight Magman Ankalaev because Ankalaev will just tackle him and that won't be interesting. But like Jamal Hill probably won't just tackle him. They'll probably just have like a really fun fight. Like, that would be dope. Like, let's just put Pereira in it. I don't care. Like, I'll watch Pereira Izzy again, like, because it's, you know, whatever. But I don't need it. I don't need Pereira Izzy. I don't, don't even need Pereira Whitaker, even though I think that's a very compelling fight. Pereira versus a bunch of dudes who are like, have pretty clearly defined weaknesses at light heavyweight, but he also has a very clearly defined weakness. It's just fun as hell, man. Let's do that. 
Uh, and the beauty about Glover Teixeira is that he's still going to be around the sport for years and years to come. He's going to be an incredible coach along the way. I've talked about this on the watch party. Like I've ring announced many of MMA events in New England, and Glover Teixeira always brings like a just a core of fighters, seven, eight dudes, amateurs and pros. I've never seen Coach Glover Teixeira lose a fight, ever. He's like 48-0 when I'm in the same building with him as a coach. It's ridiculous. So he's going to be around for a long time. His positive presence will be felt by many of generation coming up in the sport. And I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more about the legacy and story career of Glover Teixeira uh, over the next few days. No doubt about that. But that's just the beginning. There's a million other storylines for this card. And Shaheen, I'll go to you. Brandon Moreno, the undisputed UFC flyweight champion, Goes out, finishes Davis and Figueredo. Dr. Stoppage gets it done in the third round. No controversy. It seemed like there might have been some eye poke, but turns out wasn't. Good stoppage. I thought Moreno won all three rounds. The other three judges did not agree with me, but Moreno was up two to one heading into what would have been in the fourth round, and one judge gave Brandon Moreno a 10 8 third. So great performance of Brandon Moreno. Is this, is this it? Did he cap the rivalry off? Did we close the book on the Brandon Moreno, Davis at Figueredo incredible story that has been written over the last couple of years? I think so. Right. It, it feels like it's played, it's played, it's, it's played its course. Like it, we have gotten where we needed to with it. Somebody finally has an advantage in it. It, it one, one, one was a weird place to be after three, but now two, one, one Brandon, the two he won were fairly decisive. Uh, I would say that Brandon is definitely certainly the guy who comes out of this and it feels like we can move on. Uh, but it, just the fact that we have sort of entertained this over over the course of, uh, of the length that this series has gone since December two, 2020 is frankly just crazy, right? This is we, we speak about how unpredictable MMA is, how quickly things can change. If you would have told us in at the beginning of December 2020 that these two guys would go on to create one of the most memorable, one of the most fun uh, rivalries that would stretch four fights basically in a row for Davidson. It was four in a row. Brandon may have had one in between with the, the Kaikara France, but more or less four in a row. Like we, I don't think anybody would have understood what you were telling them that that is such a crazy way that this is all played out. And I, I heard you guys talk about this on the preview show and it's, I've been thinking about it ever since. So is this the most fun rivalry in UFC history just in terms of in-cage action alone, right? Just only pure in-cage action, not the outside circumstances, not the dramatics, not the characters, et cetera, et cetera. Just the actual fights themselves that we saw once these two guys were inside the cage. And I've been racking my brain. I kind of even threw it out on social media. I think it's either number one or number two, just with what we have seen over these four fights. Almost all of them were so much fun. I think tonight was trending that way too. I was really enjoying this fight until it ended when it did. Uh, I think Frankie Edgar versus Gray Maynard is really the only f series that you could really throw up uh, against it that was sort of rival the in-cage action. And that to me might still be the number one, um, if only because the, the last two fights of that were just utterly bananas and two of the greatest fights you know we had ever seen in that division i think that's probably still number one but for this to reach number two even just in terms of again greatest in cage rivalries that is a crazy 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 place for us to get to with brandon marino and divison figueredo two guys that um you know sort of came out of nowhere both of them and just took over this division and flyweight now is more fun to me than it's ever been flyweight now is in a healthier place than it's ever been and it's really because of these two gentlemen and the work that they have done over the last two years. Like these two guys have resuscitated this division and, and left it in a place that is 
incredibly compelling. We have, you know, the, the Pantoja fight, which I assume will be next for Brandon Moreno, is a banger. I've been waiting for Pantoja to get his opportunity. That's going to be so, a lot of fun. And then you just have a lot of up-and-comers coming up down the pipe, right? Muhammad Mahayev, Amir Al-Bazi, um, Manal Kamp. Like, there is just a lot of really cool, interesting, unique talent at 125 right now, and it just feels so refreshing to have this division resuscitated and, and just in a really healthy place because obviously it was not going to exist uh not too long ago so yeah i think this is probably the end of the moreno figueredo saga justifiably so it seems like Davidson wants to go to 135 which there's tons of matchmaking options for him over there uh but it was a lot of fun while we had it man this was a fun fun ride these two guys took us on completely agree just and everything just to do it back in Brazil and have a close the chapter closed there. It it just made so much sense. But what did you think, Jed? I, I, I you were pretty confident in Moreno. I was pretty confident in Moreno as well. I just felt like and we talked about the numbers game and how Father Time just has an incredible win win loss record, especially in the lower divisions. And it's just a matter of time before it just started to catch up with Figueredo. Dude is still so talented. He had moments in the fight for certain, but I just feel like Moreno is younger. He's getting better. His game continues to evolve, and he went out there and looked pretty damn good tonight. So what was your biggest takeaway of the number one flyweight in the world right now? So I looked a lot like I thought it would. Maybe not tactically. Moreno did some really interesting things um, in there that I thought were really, really smart. I thought he was going to win comfortably just because I I think Figueredo has been a slightly on the athletic decline since their second fight. I know he has, says his own things about not, you know, not really having a great camp and not being prepared for that one, but I the third fight Figueredo won win is controversial, I think. Um a number of people scored it. I don't it, like that was very close and he won that with preparation almost like entirely he brought new looks and moreno was not prepared it was not a huge in cage adjustment from figueredo in that to be like oh this is happening he he had a strategy and that's that's a credit people think that that's talking shit no because that's part of being an elite fighter is is knowing where you're limited knowing where you need to do something different and addressing that problem effectively my issue coming into this fight was you can only do that once. Like you, you only have one bullet in that gun. And once that's done, then we're back to, okay, well, Moreno now knows about it. So you got to either come up with a new wrinkle. It's really hard to do that when you're older and you're losing your fastball. And I do think we saw pretty clearly to me that Figueredo still a plus athlete, still a very good athlete. He's a little bit slower and that, that uh, the margins are so important at this point. Uh, I think we're probably not getting a fifth one, but I'm not a hundred percent that we're not getting a fifth one because I, I know he doesn't like to make the weight cut. And frankly, it doesn't feel like he should even be able to make the weight cut, but he, he does and credit to him. He pulls it off and looked good on the scale. He looked awful earlier in the week, looked good on the scale. I think he's going to have a hard time at Bantamweight. Like just, I do not think that that division is going to be very good for him now. If he gets to go up to Bantamweight and he gets to fight Cody Garbrandt, that division could be pretty good for him. But if he's trying to actually make a run or if they're giving him the the bump and saying, hey, you're moving up, we're going to throw you right into a top five, you know, put you in line for a title fight here, 
that top five is is awful for him. Sean O'Malley, Piotr Jan, Murad Valashvili, Marlon Bear, Corey Sandhagen. That's the UFC's top five, not counting champion Aljamain Sterling. Those are all of them are horrifically bad matchups for for Davison. So I think we could see him go up, recognize very quickly that that's actually not where he's going to make his hay and come back down. And if he does, then we can get a fifth. Because yes, Marina won this. I thought Marina was on his way to winning. I thought the punch was legal. This is a clean win, but it still has that aura, you know, like the, it it didn't feel all the way complete, even if that is a clean punch, et cetera. It, it lacks the stamp, the definitiveness. And, you know, we want to break, let Moreno go fight, um, you know, Ali Pants. But if, if he beats Pantoja, maybe gets another one, Figueredo takes one at Bantamweight, says, ah, comes back down. We could get a fifth one maybe next year. And I'd still watch the hell out of it because the fights have all been compelling. But now we get Alex Pants. We get the we get the fight we wanted, and I loved I love what John Ennick said because Megan O'Leary told a little story after the fight about how they had a little run in, and we've seen video on it as well. And Brandon Marino thought it was a little bit of quote unquote aggressive, and Pantoja was basically saying, "I'm ready. We could do it in a month. Do it in two months. Whatever." And Brandon Moreno's response was, "Hey." Tomorrow, you could start talking trash. But tonight, just let me have this one, all right? And I thought that or, was just That's a phenomenal thing. But also, if you're going to talk shit, do it where a camera is, bro. You don't do this backstage where they just tell us about it at the presser. That's Bush League fight promotion. I, I, I'm not, like, a huge fan of the move anyway. But if you're doing it to cl- stake your title claim, to build hype, etc., Know, know your role. Know your audience. Like, hop the cage and talk shit to him in the cage or whatever. Or just do it at the presser. Like, just don't – just come on, man. This isn't hard. That shouldn't be hard to figure that one out. And then Davison Figueredo going up to 135. God, man. So many fun fights for him up there. So, lot to be excited about. But congratulations to Brandon Moreno. Him versus Marlon Vera would be really, really fun. I'm in. That's like, I like, I'm in. Yeah, that's a really love fun it. one. And Cody Garbrandt would just make my soul sing. So I'm also down on that fight. But <laughs> like, I don't, I don't need to watch him fight Rob Font or whatever. Like, that's just not a fight that I care about. So, yeah, but you, him versus you, Marlon Vera is sick. You are the president of the Davis and Figueredo versus Cody Garbrandt fan club. You are I, the president and a client, my friend. It was the best. When that fight was going to happen, God, I was so excited. <laughs> like, I don't think it will ever happen anymore, but, man, they should book it. That would be fun. Yes. Uh, Gilbert Burns, great win. Goes out, smushes Neil Magny, does exactly what he needs to do. He calls out Colby Covington. Good on him. Jessica Andrade. Good grief, man. And then, Jed, I know we talked about this a little bit earlier. Laura Murphy took a beating, and she is as tough as it gets. Tougher than shoe leather, tougher than a $2 steak, whatever cliche comparison you want to throw out there. But golly, man, you got to stop it. Like, that was bad. That was not going to get any better. Like, in hindsight, I kind of wish they stopped the Glover fight. But he went out there and took him down and mounted him. And in hindsight, we're like, okay, sure. But this is this just was not going to get any better for Laura Murphy. It just clearly was not her night. And Jessica just tuned her up. It was tough to watch, man. Great performance from Andrade. But I think the bigger – I don't know if it's a bigger takeaway. It might be. Is that 
Lauren just took way too much damage in this fight. And you could blame the corner. You could certainly blame the ref. This should not have gone a full 15 minutes. You should not have cashed it over two and a half ticket. Super shouldn't have. Super shouldn't Absolutely have. Absolutely should not have. Yeah, we were talking about it off air. Uh, I objectively, the Glover fight should have been stopped before the fifth round. Like any, if the idea is to protect fighters from themselves and to ensure a long and healthy life, insofar as can be in this sport, Glover shouldn't have been allowed in the fifth. Uh, in hindsight, I am a very slightly more accepting of it uh, because it felt like they knew that this was the last round of his career and give him a chance to win the belt and he will take no more damage ever after this still not it still shouldn't have happened but i'm a little more willing willing to accept that and there is at least even a, even as ridiculous or as as hopeful as it would have been there was a path forward glover could have maybe done something with a takedown ultimately got it wasn't able to do it but you could still see how he could turn a win out of this that was not the case from the, the minute the first round started for Lauren Murphy. It was apparent very early. And at the end of the first round, when at the point when Jessica Andrade realized in that fight, I have nothing to fear from this woman. I do not have to give her an ounce of respect. I can just put myself in the line of fire and I might take one or two. It will not matter. And what I am returning with is so much more than she can bear. And the that happened around like the three minute mark of the first, and that's when Andrade just just got the engine moving and just really started putting it on her. And I I hit our group Slack and was like, they should stop this fight two minutes into the second round. If Lauren Murphy can't make something happen here, can't get a takedown, can't substantively change it, and instead they let it going. I, I pulled up the stats because I want this to be clear. I think that fight should have been stopped at the exact the stats are bad. Uh, yeah, the fight should have been stopped at the halfway mark. Even if you want to really give Lauren Murphy the benefit of the doubt, Jessica Andrade landed 95 significant strikes in the third round. That was after, by any reasonable measure, Andrade was up thir- 20 to 16. And Murphy, who is not a finisher, had zero path to actually win this fight. That is 95 shots. Uh, I'm not pulling on the exact head body, so let's try and figure this out. It's just a shitload of brain damage that she took pushing 40 for no discernible reason. Uh, I I don't actually think the referee should have stopped the fight. I, I have pretty clear lines on how I think this should work. The referee should protect the fighter in the immediacy of, hey, this fighter cannot continue because they are not intelligently defending themselves. Laura Murphy was tough and given what she could out there and still competing I do not think it is on the referee. I don't remember who that was. Was that, was that Osiris Maya maybe? Um, I don't think it was on him. I think that w- that's on the corner. The corner is the one who should protect their fighter when it's not their day. And and it's, it was a tough night in that regard, man. Really, really tough. So let me let me throw more on to the stat pile because I have a couple of more stats here. Uh, our pal Aaron Bronstetter tweeted this one out. Lauren Murphy observed, ab- absorbed uh, 161 significant head strikes tonight. Uh, by comparison, you look at the gold standard for UFC female violence, which is Wiley Zhang versus Yoanian Jacek 1. 
they absorbed a combined 192 head strikes over five rounds 161 to 192 Jesus. split amongst two people wow. let's keep let's let's go let's go farther uh Andrade landed 231 and just general significant strikes in 15 minutes 231 tonight that's an average of 15.4 per minute that's if you even go down more that's basically four four strikes uh per second or per minute basically wait no, no i'm sorry uh, every every 3.89 seconds she laura murphy absorbed a significant strike sorry i messed that one up but every 3.8 seconds she absorbed a significant strike she went over 15 on takedowns there was never at any point a moment where it appeared any of this was in, in danger of changing like this is if this was a boxing fight, this fight would have been stopped by somebody 100% of the time, whether it was the corner or the referee or somebody. And I agree with you, Jed. At, at, at no point did it feel like this was the, on the referee to stop it. This was a corner decision, and they really did – they didn't do right by Lauren Murphy tonight. She took way too much extra damage that she did not need to take. 78 head strikes in the final round. She ate 78 head strikes. And like to your point about the J.J. Uh, Zhang fight, I mean Wiley Zhang is a, is a force. Bjorn and Jacek hits hard, but she she is not she is not serving with the same power that one twenty five Jessica Andrade is like. That is that that'll ruin your career just straight up. Like I I don't know what Lauren Murphy's career was going to look like over the next couple of years. She's getting older anyway, but like I, it's done. Whatever run she had, I, it's just not going to happen because fighters don't really come back from stuff like that. There's no reason for it, and it's. It's just shameful, man. It's there's no this is not hard, and you're not doing your job. You're just not. And credit to Jessica Andrade too, because no, no, I mean the performance is great, but the the game plan early, unbelievable, of just sledgehammering her such a monster. legs, such I mean, a monster. Lauren was not prepared for that, and I, I think it threw that caught a lot of people off guard. Even like pundits who broke the fight down and. Were, thought about how it could go i don't think a lot of people thought she would just be thundering leg kicks the way that she did and like 45 seconds into the fight we were like oh boy lauren's already compromised that leg is a mess and jessica just took advantage of it so spectacular performance she looked great and deserves a ton of credit great win real for quick, her real quick so before we move on Sure. Like, I feel like we underappreciate Jessica Andrade to like a pretty significant degree. Like, like she is just generally throughout the MMA community underappreciated for what she gives us. Like, this woman is the definite, like the definition of why pound for pound rankings exist. She is the definition of pound for pound excellence. She's basically a top contender in two different divisions right now, and she just doesn't even care. Like, you just give her anybody, <laughs> and she's gonna come try to destroy that person, right? Like, it is crazy. The 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 wrecking ball that she brings into every fight like it's it's she's underappreciated and we're gonna miss her when when she's gone because she is maybe the most exciting fighter <laughs> in the ufc right now outside of justin gagey like it's a it's a consistent thing at this point that we've seen it over the years it's just crazy dude this is her first decision win in five years since tisha torres she landed 230 strikes in it like that's <laughs> everything else has been finishes or she put a double century mark on Lauren Murphy. This woman is nuts. All I want, I look, I my heart, I mentioned earlier, my heart would sing if we got Pereira versus Yuri. I think that's my number one fight uh in my wish list. But one B, number two, I I we have to have Andrade Zhang too. 
that I agree. Just, 100%. There is nothing else that matters. I do not care that Rose has two wins over Zhang. Rose never gets to fight for the belt again after the Asparja monstrosity. Andrade <laughs> Zhang 2 in Brazil, and then God willing, Andrade wins it, and we can have a third fight between those two because that is just we're you're talking about the the moreno figgy fight being like maybe the best rivalry in cage rivalry if we can be lucky enough to get three fights out of those women whoo that's just be the best all right and is it time to turn this into the jail Mitten almeida hour it feels like it's time to turn this into the jail Mitten almeida hour we're gonna get there uh i, right. I feel like right. we, have a per, we have a we have a perfect segue we got a perfect segue to that uh let's talk the bonuses uh, I thought for sure this is going to be a four performance bonus kind of a night. Did not happen. We only got two of them. We and fight of the night was the main event between Jamal Hill and Glover Teixeira. But one of the bonuses goes to Jelton Almeida. How about that, Shaheen? What a transition! What a transition! <laughs> How about that? I mean, this guy—he's not—he's not bad, right? Like, I feel like you know, give him a couple not of bad. years, a little more seasoning. This guy might be a top 15 guy or something. This dude's a friggin' terror, Sean Alshadi. Go. Wax poetically. Oh, my God. How much fun is Jailton Almeida? I feel like us at MMA Fighting have sort of adopted him as our, our like, our, our, <laughs> our project fighter for some reason. Like, everyone on the staff just absolutely adores Jailton Almeida. This dude is such a force, man. Like, I, I was already all in before tonight. Like, I was already kind of on that bandwagon. I, I, I am somehow even more all in now. Like I am whatever stock is still available. Like I'm just buying up all your stock. Like I'm buying up every ounce of Jailton Almeida stock at this point. This man was hurling around a 260 pound man at 230 pounds tonight. Like it was the easiest thing in the world. Like he was throwing Shamir, uh, uh, Shamil around. Like I would throw, you know, my, my newborn baby around or like carry him around. Like it's just, it, it, it was crazy the, the degree to which he was kind of just doing whatever he wanted in there. And that's just been a consistent pattern now that we have seen from this man over over you know four UFC fights, and it feels like I just don't actually know what the ceiling is now for Jailton Almeida because I had I, I I had legitimate questions and I, I feel like they're still out there. Of is the size going to be a, a problem at heavyweight, right? Because this is someone who came in as a light heavyweight and kind of just started doing these catch weights, and eventually now he just seems to be a heavyweight, and we don't really know if he's really a heavyweight. He's he's two thirty. He's very small for heavyweight. He's basically Fedor Emelianenko size. Uh, I don't know if that can work in today's high-level heavyweight MMA. There might be a ceiling on this when you reach someone like a Curtis Blades or a Siorgan or just these absolute behemoths at the top of the division. I'm ready to see it, man. I'm ready to see it because Jailton Almeida, I, I feel so confident, is going to be a UFC champion at some point. Whether it's at heavyweight or 205, I still don't know in that regard. If you put him up against Jamal Hill right now, I think a lot of people are going to be really split and torn on who they would actually pick in that fight. That's a competitive fight to me. Is the future at heavyweight? I'm not sure. But tonight sold me on the idea that that's actually a possibility now because I still felt like coming in tonight he was probably a light heavyweight. If you can just throw around a 260-pound guy like it's the easiest thing in the world – I don't actually know anymore then because this, this I am so in on jail to Almeida. Like this is, it's, it's going to be really fun to watch. However, this plays out. Uh, but man, tonight was fun. Tonight was fun, right? Like this is a, a big giant Damian Maya who's got wrestling and ground and pound. And I'm very much here for it. It was fun for everybody except for GC who bet that that fight, Jailton Almeida would 
finish the fight. It would go under I, a round and a half. I tried to tell him. He didn't listen. The most electric bet in all of combat sports, Mike, heavyweight overs. And let me tell you, it was friggin' electric. I am desperately begging, begging Shamil to cheat and just survive all the bad positions. And then at the end, when it's like he's given up the back – but then for what Jailton just like takes a breather. He just like holds him for a minute. I was like, yes, take all the time in the world. You can finish this 20 seconds later, but count down, baby. It was awesome. It was the most fun and, I had tonight. And then the other electric bet that you made that cashed was a parlay, the Bonfim brothers parlay and the other performance award. They both, both brothers should have got, could have got one, but Ishmael gets one. With one of the scariest knockouts I've ever seen. That was Ooh, that was so brutal. That Oof. was brutal. Terrence McKinney went down in a heap. I thought, I mean, I thought he was like seriously injured the way he went down. It was scary. He wasn't moving. Everything about that was nasty. He looked fantastic, Ismail Bonfin. And that double flying knee, whatever you want to call it, was just so sick, Jed. It was just so sick. What did you think watching that knockout? That those knees land and watch Terrence McKinney just not try, not trying to be disrespectful, but like he just timbered. He went timber. It was just, so scary. Uh, I I've been watching this sport way too long. Uh, stuff like that really scares me. The Lauren Murphy stuff like makes me feel bad. Like prolonged beatings where I was like, I just have the visceral reaction of, oh shit, he did that thing. That was insane. Uh, I I love the Bonfim brothers. I said it on No Bets Bar coming in. The Bonfim parlay is mostly a gimmick because I love a gimmick and it was a good one. But it was also like they're both talented dudes. Like they are both legitimate prospects. His brother actually is, I think, the better one in part because welterweight is a worse division than bantam or lightweight. Um, but like, and he's undefeated, etc. But they're both good. But Ishmael looked so good. I want to rewatch it because I was a little distracted. Part, but honestly, one of my big thoughts was. My biggest overarching takeaway is that lightweight fucking rules, man. Um, I know that we have a, a back and forth with some members of the site who think it's bantamweight. Uh, I'm here to tell you, look, Terrence McKinney was exceptionally close to knocking out Drew Dober in violent fashion. Drew Dober, who I think is probably going to be ranked um, or certainly a far of in our rankings, undeniably a top 20-ish dude and Terrence McKinney was moments away from ethering that dude and he just got slabbed by a guy making his debut the lightweight the top 75 dudes at this weight class can kill anybody on any given night and if you're a top 15 dude at this weight class it means you're just one of the very best fighters in the whole damn world and that was my big takeaway and it's I can't wait to watch what these dudes do next because like that was not the fight or performance I was anticipating. And so for him to so comprehensively beat Terrence McKinney's ass, who is a flawed but good fighter, this kid really has has a lot going for him. And so does his brother, man. Brother also. Munir Lazez is no joke. Dude's a very, very That's solid the thing. fighter. That's the very, thing, like very both. Solid fighter. Both the dudes they, they beat tonight are like very legitimate, right? Like Terrence McKinney and Monir Laziz are both like talents that I'm immensely respectful of. 
we were talking in the chat, like the siblings in there, and the Basharats feel like the closest thing because they were they debuted last year, not on the same card. These dudes are like maybe Javed Basharat's going to have a higher ceiling uh, overall. I think these dudes are far more impressive at this stage of their careers than the Basharats were when they came into the UFC. Like far more. I'm much more interested in what they do moving forward. I mean, it might be it. It probably is right. Like the the greatest single night for a debuting household in UFC history, it's, right? It's like, hard like, to imagine. What the hell did anything? These dudes are the king of Rio for the rest of the weekend. Like I can't imagine what mom and dad are feeling watching this. Like this is that was unbelievable. We're gonna be talking about that knee knockout at the end of 2023. Like that is going to be on people's lockout of the year list. There's a it's thousand percent a, a KO of the year nominee. Yep. Can I also say. shout out uh, the biggest robbery of the evening, which I know was, you're gonna say. Uh, look, this ain't gonna be a KO of the year nominee, but it was definitively the second best performance of the night. I don't care that Jailton Almeida ran over a dude who has lost three in a row before he lost to Jailton, um, and was also a minus nine hundred favorite. That was a very anticipated performance, good but anticipated. Bruno Fajeda just ethering robocop that how does that not get a performance bonus how somebody explain to me how that man did not get a performance bonus for that ko i i had no answer for you that was, it, it was just I such a nothing. sneaky left hand it was just a little sneaky I, robocop just went out eyes back of the head Dunzo. We've literally Melton. we've literally never seen that. We've seen Shmuel Abdurakhimov get his ass beat. In fact, it's become a common occurrence. We have seen Robocop take monstrous shots, but the the replay just like watching his neck just like move and that is an unbelievable and it was a beautiful setup. Switch step gets the outside angle, left hand down the pipe. How is that not a bonus? That is such a robbery. Such a robbery. Well, maybe they'll take care of him. Hopefully they do. We'll see what I happens. was pretty surprised we didn't get the, hey, we're back in Brazil. Everybody who got a finish gets a bonus. Uh, and But this is – this. it just feels wrong for him is all I'm saying, man. feels really wrong because, honestly, Gilbert Burns' submission is better than Jailton Almeida's performance. I, think, I don't think that's controversial I mean, at all to say that Gilbert Burns' oh, performance is I mean, better than Jailton's. No, that was a flawless victory. Like that was yeah. he did he, literally he did zero strikes. Literally <laughs> yeah, he, zero he strikes. Zero in that fight. Amazing. And what one more thing I want to say before we go to the peeps is um and I don't know how you guys felt about this, but I felt it like doing the watch party GC and talking over there, everybody. As crazy as this year has been in the sport and even outside of it, tonight felt normal. Like, I kind of it, – it just felt normal. Like, watching a pay-per-view, chaos is happening. Yes, were there weird things that happened along the way? Sure. But, I don't, like, it, this felt like the most normal day of watching MMA or, like, covering the sport of the year so far. And I know that's weird to say on January 21st, but considering how the first three weeks of this year has been in the sport, it was kind of cool to just forget about all the bullshit – and just watch these fighters go out there and do what they do best. It just felt like a normal night watching fights. We're not talking about anything else. We're not talking about all the other drama that we saw throughout the year. It just felt normal again. You know what I mean? And it was it was a refreshing feeling. And I, I don't know if you guys 
felt the same way. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it was a really good night of fights. It was is the most fun I've had in a really long time watching fights because. But I thought I would have thought that coming in. Does this card look good on paper? Fifteen fights is a lot, but I mean. Our last two fight nights were very tough hangs, both on paper and in actuality. And then the last pay-per-view was also a super tough hang, particularly given we had a draw in the whole... The most interesting part of the last pay-per-view was them making this main event, like, that night of it. So it's been, like, a full... I'm trying to think the last time I was, like, geared up for a fight night and, and it was good. And 282. 81 maybe that's yeah, like that probably. was a decent one I, th- I think it probably had to be that so i mean I, I had a great time and i enjoyed that uh you know nitpicks here and there everywhere but this was the best card the ufc's put on in at least a month yep yeah all right. all right let's take a couple questions i i'm i'm telling you i don't know how much longer my voice is going to be able to keep talking uh, but we're going to try to barrel through this. So we'll take a few questions um, um, if we could. One, one fallout from this that we haven't mentioned. Yeah. Terrence McKinney versus Patty Pimblett suddenly makes a little bit more sense, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm just saying. Throwing it out there into the world. Feels yeah. like it's a little more possible. Now. Well, oh, Patty, there we go, Patty Casey. Pim- there we go. <laughs> Patty Pimble versus Tiago Moises uh, doesn't make any sense at all. So I no. guess this one is the better choice. <laughs> no. <laughs> a terrible idea dude also just shouts to tiago moises who's like a top 25 lightweight and just will never get flowers because of how good the stupid division is he's so good so fun to watch just dominated not fine but not a great fighter this dude rules yeah i don't think he like his defensive savvy on the feet is equally as impressive as his opportunistic offense on the ground. It's just so fun to watch him strike. Like you can't hit him. It looks like he's being hit, but then if you actually like watch the fights, they don't touch him. Nobody touches this man. It's insane. It's crazy. Takaro man 91, who most likely to maintain their title Hill or Moreno? Jed, your face says it all. Come on. Come on, man. Like, maybe Hill is leveled up in a way and he's about to go on a run. I will not write that possibility off because he looked so good tonight. Brandon Moreno has, at worst, beaten the second best flyweight in the world comprehensively twice and very possibly did it three out of four times while also – Beating Kai Kara France's ass uh, in the between time. So, look, I think Pantoja is that fight is going to rule. I know Pantoja has a couple wins over Moreno. That was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I'll feel very confident picking Moreno that he was my beginning of the year pick to retain his title. Shaheen, as just so we're clear in our, our things, this right was now. my number one draft pick looking okay at the moment. So, <laughs> I'm taking Moreno. I think it is as simple as I think he's the best flyweight in the world. I don't know how long that will last, but I think we've got at least a year or two of him still improving, still moving up. And I, I like his chances against anybody in the world at this weight class. Yeah. I mean, the answer is Moreno's if only because once Yuri comes back, I think we're all picking Yuri to take that title back at light heavyweight. 
Yeah, the Pantoja fight's gonna be a tough one, no doubt about it. But if he beats if Moreno fight. beats if Moreno beats Pantoja, he's gonna he's gonna be the champion for a long time. And I know there's good fighters like Nicolau. We got Manel Cobb coming up, and we got Mahayev coming up. But I feel like by the time Mahayev gets to a title fight, it's gonna be like twenty twenty four, like mid twenty twenty four, because they're just gonna slowly build him up, and he'll get there, yeah. and he'll get there. And probably he's, win the belt. He's got work to do. There, but, but yeah, he's yeah. got work. To, and, you know, uh, if for no other reason, Moreno doesn't have to fight Jailton Almeida at some point. So that seems likely <laughs> that he gets to retain a belt since he doesn't have to fight Jailton Almeida. It's true. Uh, here we go. Silly question, but I think it's fun to talk about. <laughs> Would Jamal Hill versus John Jones even be competitive? I'd oh, be interested. Look. I actually think that that can be. Yeah. I mean, today, yeah. right now, if John was 205 and able to make it, I think it would be competitive. I, I, I have real, but I also have had real questions about where John's at in his career for a while now. So that's not anything new for me. I mean, we just haven't seen John Jones look like John Jones for several years. My hottest take in the entire history of my MMA taking is that John Jones is pretty heavily overrated. Um, that he should be as good as everyone thinks he is, but he never took MMA serious to any degree. And so he's, his performances are viewed in a very rose-colored light. I think he probably beats Jamal Hill, but I, there are absolutely avenues where Jamal Hill gives him problems. Yep. John Jones is not very good at striking. <laughs> like he's... <laughs> He's very good if he did good things. He mostly want he wants to fight in the ways that are the least effective for him. And it makes people it is why people like Dominic Reyes and as we saw, talked offline, that win win is aged extremely poorly. Anthony Smith, Tiago Santos with no knees were able to be competitive because John doesn't want to do the things he's best at for whatever reason that is. Um, so I think that fight's competitive. I would ultimately favor John Jones because his ceiling is the highest of anyone that's ever competed in the sport. I know we've been kind of avoiding the topic a little bit because there were so many storylines, but we need to mention him. Set up some theoretical. Sh- I didn't want to do this, but yeah, I, we're but here. Wait, no, this wait, is easy. Shogun, this is Shogun's easy, and I'm super right? in on this. What are you talking about, I didn't see that. No, I feel like AK when he's talking about Ryan Hall when talking about this right now. Uh, set up some theoretical Shogun retirement opponents. Why do we always have to see our heroes beaten to a pulp in their final matchups? I actually didn't hate this one. I thought this was oh, about as no. good as it could... What? You ha- why did you hate this one? I didn't I, I, hate it. I hated it. I, I, I hated I the it. ending in the follow. But on okay. paper, this was about as good as it could get for him. This is a winnable fight against a guy that a decent, even like a 70% Shogun should have beaten. Uh, He just, it just wasn't there, man. Like, no jail. What what would you, what else would you have done? Look, there are two, there are only, I would have brought, I would have brought, I would have brought someone. Hold on. I would have brought someone Shogun's age. I would have brought Lyoto Machida back in for one more fight or something. Someone Shogun's age. Like, I don't need Shogun fighting a 22-year-old or a 28-year-old or a 31-year-old or whatever 
however old this this gentleman was i, I don't know offhand I, I, you bring I in a legend you bring in a fellow legend yeah you bring in a fellow legend and then one of them gets the good moment look shaheen is correct that's what you should do there are two ways to handle this. And my issue with this, it's the exact same thing I have with Frankie Edgar. And this is probably really inside baseball. Most people won't care, and that's fine. I at least understand the concept of sending him out on his back. All right, let's get whatever juice we can. Trying to book him against a winnable mid-tier fight creates the worst possible outcome, which is him losing to somebody who doesn't matter and will get nothing from it. Now, if he does win, okay, but you're just gambling something stupidly. You either book him against some dude who's going to beat the shit out of him, like Frankie Edgar should have fought Adrian Yanez, or like some dude who's going to get some kind of a bump out of it and be helpful and not a guy – because Ihor Potier is just a dude. Like this is going to matter nothing to his career because he's never going to be like elite and good. So it, it, it's a waste. Or the actual reasonable thing is you you should have shot signed Leota Machida. He's a free agent. You sign him for one fight. They both fight. In Brazil. They fall, it, there's a trilogy. They yeah. do it in Brazil. It can be a walk away for both of them. But it's, you just do that. And then as Shane said, one guy gets the win. It's the moment. Honestly, those are more competitive and fun fights. We saw, shit, we saw Shogun fight like Little Nog three times, two times in the UFC when they were both pretty washed. And those fights were fun and interesting. This was never going to be fun, even if we got the good outcome from it. It was like, it's just such a narrow line to walk. And I don't, I really don't know why the UFC can't figure that out or if they know and just don't care. And this is how it broke. But that seems very weird to me. Like, all right, we'll just do this. I don't get this. I never have. No, I get it. If I had my druthers and we lived in this wonderful world that you speak of that doesn't exist, I would have done the exact same thing. But we don't live in that world. We live in the UFC's world where they're not going to bring Leota back for a fight. Give him Khalil Roundtree or somebody. Khalil Roundtree? Yeah, he would have killed him. But that's fine. At least you're getting you something kill, out of it. You got killed anyway. Let's kill him with a this name. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it, that's exactly right. If you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly. If you're going to send this dude out in a bad way, yeah. send him out in a freaking cannon shot to the moon. Jailton Almeida. Not just some. That's fine. Jailton, fine. <laughs> the, the, For as the, bad the, as the, the Hamzat Nate Diaz fight is, that at least made sense, even if it felt dirty. Because this doesn't even make sense for the. For their promotion, yeah, it just doesn't That's make the, sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like That's the way the watching this felt, um, watching this felt so flaccid, right? In a weird way, where it's just like, what are we even watching? Like, watch it. We're watching some contender series guy who I agree is probably not going to end up mattering in, in a, a real title conversation ever. Dance and taunt over show like a fallen, uh, really weird ending yeah, Shogun retirement fight, like, and then have no sense of of. Of the room or reading the room or anything. Read the room, I think bro. That, read the room. I think that's going to age well, frankly. I think that's going to be incredibly stupidly funny. Like in the moment, it's like, dude, just be smarter. I can totally see me being like, it's hilarious how dumb he was. He did at the like, press conference too. Apparently. Just incredibly dumb. Like in credit to Uriah Hall when he when he – Kicked out Anderson Silva in the yeah. UFC. He didn't like do a backflip after he won, whatever one or he was like in tears basically. Like, yeah, was, Chris Gutierrez. As soon as he knocked out Frank Edgar, he was Hill. like, "My fault." <laughs> Dude, Jamal Hill tonight. Oh, and Jamal I, Hill. Jamal Hill. I have many bad things to say about Jamal Hill, but that's he handled the not. Post-press. But yeah. his 
you know, his Wait. thing to to go over to share. That dude's a legend. That dude's tough as shit. I can't believe the shots he was taking. You know, give him his props. Like, that's how you handle it. Ivo Portier is awesome in the fact that he just couldn't see it at all. Like, <laughs> didn't even sort of register that he was the bad guy or that it's like, no, I'm the future. I'm so good. Look at me. I Dude, love that level of self-awareness. Dude's from Kiev in a war-torn country, and this is like the best moment of his life. And yeah, it's yeah. it's just it's just weird and tone deaf. And I think I, I, I get where so you're all funny. I get where you're coming from. I, I'm wrong. Like I I admit that I'm wrong about this. And stubborn Mike is admitting that he's wrong. Um, and it's only because I thought for sure Shogun. I was like, okay, this is a ver- this is a winnable fight for Shogun. And I actually felt good about it on paper. I was like, he's gonna go in there. Like, he might lose his, like, squeaky decision or something, but, like, at least he's not going to get trucked. And then it turned out he got trucked, and I was like, oh, man. I I don't know if Shogun was beating anybody tonight, unfortunately. Oh, probably not. No, no. No. But again, I don't know. What's what's Jared Vanderot doing? We kept rolling him out there forever. Why not? Like, I think Shogun could have had a shot against Jared. Who was that heavyweight who dropped down to light heavyweight? Harry Huntsucker? Is that the guy? Oh, yeah. Oh, bring, bring back, yeah. Oh, bring, bring back yeah, There we go. Come on. Yeah. I mean, Jonathan Goulet Ch- Ch- doing Sherman these days. still in the UFC with like 30 losses in a row. Why isn't Harry Hensucker? Justin Ledette. Bring back Justin Ledette. Yeah. Perfect. Um, I think maybe for our last question, I don't believe we even mentioned him on the show, and I think it deserves some mentioning. Who has more wacky endings to their fights than Johnny Walker? The violent nonsense both ways most of the time. Hey, listen, perfect opponent, right? I, that, that was like my biggest takeaway. But what, what did you think of Johnny Walker's performance, Sean? Like it was disciplined, patient, but in the end, we got kind of the Johnny Walker we were hoping to see tonight. Yeah, I'm I'm way here on Chaos Johnny Walker. Like Chaos Johnny Walker is so much more fun than Composure Johnny Walker. Like no one wants to see that. Like maybe and that's not even like increasing your stock any if you're fighting fights like that. Like everyone was hating Johnny Walker when he was fighting like that and he was also losing fights. Like that's the worst of both outcomes. Like your your fun when you're just bringing the chaos and and he brought some chaos tonight. And I'm I am very happy that these last two fights we have gotten this version of Johnny Walker back because for a long time or not for a long time, but for a while, it was looking like he was gone forever. And John Cavan, I just kind of ruined this guy. And that was a really big bummer. Because, like, like, he even brought the worm back out tonight. Like, the ball's on the You notice he slowed it down. He's like, okay. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah he, he didn't just jump into it. He's, he's a mature Johnny Walker. And it, yeah. you, you talked about, you know, I don't want to see this composed Johnny Walker, but we actually did see a composed Johnny Walker. Remember, like, the first 90 seconds of that fight was just kind of fainting. You know, it was just like, I was like, ooh, are we going to get this for 15 minutes? But then Paul Craig got And he let it go. And he let, let it go. go. And, then, and then, that, then that Johnny Walker that we love kind of came out. But this was, it's hard to say because, you know, the fight ended so crazy. But this looked like the Johnny Walker that we had the championship, you no know, expectations from, you know? I mean, they, that, that, I'm not saying he, he beats Jamal Hill next week, but... This is the guy we go, ooh, I want to see him fight on high up on the card, not, you know, oh, God, they gave him another main event. So, I don't know. I was excited. And the way he just chilled on top of the cage, what a, the guy just gets it. It's so good. He's such a showman. It's yeah. a, he's so good at that. He's definitely what are you, what are you a showman. showman? <laughs> yeah. Us, just us as people and fans. Uh, 
because look, he is definitely a showman. Uh, you can't take that away. And this is incredibly fun. But like, look, the the truth is pretty obvious in front of us. It, it, Johnny Walker uh, didn't didn't change or get uh, Johnny Walker looks really fun and good against people who aren't very good. <laughs> and he, I mean, the guy last, that the guy that broke the arm of the champion uh, like yes. 18 months ago. <laughs> Paul Craig, okay, maybe maybe I should rephrase that. <laughs> Against people who are not good defensively and sometimes do dumb shit. Uh, because, like, we look at the run. The run he was on, I've got it pulled up, uh, that we were like, this dude's a thing. Clear around your junior. That's aged pretty well, and that KO was savage. Uh, the aforementioned Justin Ledette, who Shaheen just threw out as a possible can for Shogun to crush in his retirement fight. <laughs> Uh, Misha Serkinov, God love Misha Serkinov, but he's lost like 12 in a row or something. And then he fought Corey Anderson and lost because Corey Anderson's good. He then fought Nikita Krylov and lost because Nikita Krylov is at least decent. He beat Ryan Spann, who, as we were talking about off air, doesn't train MMA until six months ago. (laughs) Also defensively porous. And then he fought, lost to Tiago Santos, one of the worst fights of all time. And Jamal Hill, who is apparently good, as we learned tonight. And then his two good wins now, Ian Kutalaba, who is a, a chaos merchant in his own right. And then Paul Craig, who's Paul Craig. So, like, I think it's pretty clear. If Johnny Walker goes in and his next fight is against, like, Anthony Smith, he's probably going to lose. But if his next fight is against Jimmy Crute... He's got a pretty good shot. Like it's, and it'll be fun because he's incredibly fun. He is to answer Efren Gonzalez's question. He's like a high end Nico Price. He's like a good Nico Price, or maybe he's just the exact same fighter as Nico Price. But like heavyweight is a much worse division than welterweight. Fair, and that's cool. Like that's a re- yeah, Andy's a showman, good. so it's cool. Like I'm not here to talk shit on Johnny Walker. I just it's. Ah, uh, maybe the old Johnny Walker's back. Like, I don't know. I think if he fights Corey Anderson again, he's gonna get thumped. Well he can't he can't he can't handle those Bellator two oh fivers. We know that. <laughs> Might be the best two oh fivers in the world. Who knows at this juncture? Don't That's very, very possible. true. Um, don't real, quick, real quick before we get out of here, because I know we're about to get out of here. We very, very, very briefly mentioned Gilbert Burns and moved on. How would you guys matchmake welterweight right now? Because he called out Colby tonight. And to me, like, I appreciate the call out, but that to me is not the fight. I, I still want, I would rather do Colby and Hamzat and then Gilbert Bilal makes sense to me. He should have mm. called out Mazadal or Bilal. Those are the two names he should have called out. Mazadal, like the story's there. He beats Mazadal. Like it's, I mean, it's prize fighting. It's a prize fighting fight for him. And the story's there and they're both been talking crap about each other. But Bilal was the choice. I mean, you spent your whole... The, the best thing you said at media day was talking about Bilal jumping you in the rankings. And then it's like, it's like they just become each other. They have these, like him and Bilal just have these shining moments and breakout <laughs> moments. And then they get a microphone in front of them and they just whiff. It's so bad. Like everybody wants to fight Colby. Colby's not fighting Gilbert Burns. He's certainly not fighting Bilal Muhammad. Like, I, I just don't I, – I, I heard the call out and I just was like, hmm, not good, no. not great. I'm with you though. I, I'm I definitely know. with you. I love disappointed dad Mike Heck. That's might be my favorite Mike Heck. <laughs> I mean it's so – like it's 
you had the prize fighting fight, and then you have the let's shut this dude up that I've been talking about all week fight. And it makes sense. Like, Bilal, mm. if they offered Bilal Gilbert Burns, he has to take that fight. He has to take it. He's not getting a title shot. He's got to beat one more guy, and Gilbert is the dude. And Gilbert beats him, and Leon wins. Gilbert's the guy. But I just don't think Colby's going to come back and fight Gilbert Burns. I don't. Yeah. Sorry. I actually think it matters. I don't. I don't think there's a great call out for him. So like it's fine. I don't think he's going to get the fight. But I don't know who Colby's going to fight if he's going to fight. I also don't think that if he calls out Bilal and wins, he gets a title fight because I am still of the belief that Hamzat will be fighting the winner of Leon Edwards and Kamar Usman. I know that the UFC has ideas of Hamza fighting again, but March is coming up quickly, and once that's done, I don't know that they're going to insist. Maybe they do. I don't know, but it just seems like once that fight is close, Hamza, maybe you make Hamza weigh in as the backup fighter just to prove that he can make the weight, and then he fights the winner. That feels like where we're going. I think the most obvious answer is that Gilbert has a – has a shit draw in life and he is going to have to fight Shavkat after Shavkat just greases Jeff Neal. And that's a tough out for him to have to fight Hamzat and Shavkat, but he'll do it because that man ain't scared of no man walking on two feet. Oh, do they? They train together too. Yeah. I mean, not like full time, but like when Shavkat comes to the States, he trains at Killcliffe. Yeah, Jed's probably correct. I just didn't want to put it out there because I feel bad for Gilbert. That's the thing. I think (laughs) think that's the fight that happens, but you can't call for – I mean, I guess you could. I want the winner of Shavkat versus Jeff Neal. Like it makes sense to go – I'm going to call up instead of this fight that's two months away and both of them are behind me. But it feels really likely that that's just Gilbert Burns' lot in life. That being yeah. said, Burns versus Shavkat. The fight rules. I mean, oh Shavkat's going to kill him. Yeah, Shavkat's going to kill everybody, but that fight rules. Yeah, Poor yeah, Jeff Neal just sitting at home going, oh. And Hamza. <laughs> I haven't been right. lost yet. <laughs> I mean, Hamza he hasn't officially been lost <laughs> yet, Casey. Yeah. But he did sign the contract, which feels uh, like an L. Yeah. yeah. Hamza looks like he's chasing Jelton Almeida up to like middle of like in between light heavyweight and heavyweight right now. Look, I, I agree. I do want to bring it since Hamza was broached. I want to say that last year uh, after the Burns fight, because I hand up have never given Gilbert Burns his due and probably never will because I can't. I have a mental block about him for whatever reason it is. I said after that fight, you know, I don't think Hamzat's going to be a three division champion. And before I was really gassed up and was like, he's going to win three belts, going to be the first guy to do it. Looking at the state of 205, I would pick Jamal Hill if they fought tomorrow. But if you just told me Hamzat got to fight Jamal Hill in three months, I wouldn't feel confident in picking Jamal Hill. Would any of you? Like, no, I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't pick against him probably, but like uh, (laughs) I would pick confidently Hamzat to beat Alex Pereira. I feel really good about picking him to beat that and 50-50 that he could beat Jamal Hill, which is insane. (laughs) Truly insane. Jamal Hill has two inches on him. That's it. Dude, he's so big. Very similar. He's so sneaky. Like I don't understand how he ever made welterweight. But he's ginormous. Like I've I've stood next to the man. I, it's enormous. It's 
it's uh, like it, you're you're stunned. You can't believe this man. It, like I wouldn't believe he was a middleweight. That's how big he is. He's that big. It's it's insane. He's just a giant. Where are you gonna put Hamza in your two or five rankings, Jed? <laughs> he hasn't actually fought out there yet, even though I mean the you know the Kevin Holland fight was pushing it, but he hasn't actually fought there. So I, I think we should do the rankings where we just think fighters should be. That's just, what most of my no, rankings literally are. what Jed's rankings are. <laughs> yeah. You just described I, his uh, rankings. I have very limited rules about <laughs> even about it, but mostly division. it's that. Just, they uh, talked me out of my. You weren't around for it. They didn't are not allowing me to put my new number one bantamweight in the world. Because they're haters. Oh, I know. It's insane. <laughs> it's insane. Uh, man, guys, you're making me laugh so much. I, I, I got to be careful. I don't want to rip my stitches <laughs> open. I'm, I'm trying to, like, not smile. Because I don't want, oh. like, every time I smile, my face starts <laughs> creaking. <laughs> we don't need to get into this, but since it just hasn't been mentioned, our shouts to Nicholas Dalby. The man, yeah. I think, is 5-0 and against Brazilian fighters now. Two yes. of them in Brazil. This man has just no fear. No fear of the Brazilians. Goes into their home country, just does the damn thing again. Yeah, he flies like 18 hours from wherever he lives, like Holland or something. I don't know where he lives. But Finland, maybe? Finland, like no, Denmark? No. Denmark, or, yeah. Oh, it's, it's definitely Denmark, not Finland. Denmark, yeah. It's it's a, definitely Denmark. Yeah. What a man. What a man. Yeah, good win. And uh, Daniel Santos, too. Daniel Santos, too. What a performance to kick things off. And Josie uh, and Nunes. That was the funniest fight on the card. That fight ruled. Amazing. And, uh, I won't say that fight ruled, but it was funny. It ruled, man. Yes. And, uh, of course, congratulations to Jose Aldo, UFC Hall of Famer, to be. Was that the uh, most predictable thing of all time? Yes. Oh, and then as soon as they announced it, then they bring the little graphic. Oh, you can watch Jose Aldo's boxing match on UFC Fight Pass. I was like, oh, okay. No, Dude, Fight Pass together. getting the ADCCs is pretty sick, though. I that is say. Yeah, I agree. That cool. As a man who owns Fight Pass and don't really know why a lot of the time, <laughs> that's that's pretty dope. <laughs> that's the story yep. of Fight Good Pass. Good move. <laughs> All right. Well, you can hit the music. I Ready think we have, uh, we've done it. There will be a lot more, I'm sure, 283 talk throughout the week on the MMA Hour, on BTL, Heck of a Morning, all of our shows. But, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to do on to the next one tomorrow, but I might have to, like, write things down and just hold up a sign <laughs> with my matchmaking suggestions. But find out what I'm going to do. 11 a.m. tomorrow, myself and AK, we will matchmake following UFC 283. And it was a good time tonight. So for Casey, Jed, Shaheen, I am Mike Heck. Thank you for watching. Hope you enjoyed the first pay-per-view of the year. Good night, everybody. Love you guys. Happy trails, Shogun. Happy trails, Deborah Teixeira. Love her. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.